I'd like to welcome you to our next perspective. Last time we started looking at unforgettable sayings. These are the things that I've heard over the years that have had an indelible impression on my life. Things that I can't get out of my mind. They've been, some of them have been positive, some have been negative. Some have been uh, extremely helpful, others have been extreme warnings. But in all of these, I can look back and almost picture the time and the place and the circumstances of listening and hearing these um, particular sayings. They just, they just don't go away. And uh, I like to continue talking about those. We did four of them last time. I like to pick up um, with the next set here. If you remember last time I talked about the pastor friend of mine who told me, never react, always act. And uh, I got to meet him a few years ago. Um, he's in heaven now. But uh, before he went to heaven, I got to meet him and talk to him a little bit. And he sent me a book, or he gave me a book. He actually signed it, which I have in my library. And one of the statements in that book really stood out for me. He says, you know, when you're in the right, time is on your side. A lot of times um, we're quick to try and justify ourselves, quick to defend ourselves. Sometimes people say things and it's not true and time will show that it's not true, but instead of allowing time to take its course, we have to push things along sometimes. We want to try and justify ourselves. We want to try and defend ourselves. What I found over the years is sometimes it's better to just let things work themselves out. There's a time when you need to defend yourself. There's a time when you need to say something. There's also those times when you just need to let time be your best defense. Um, I remember my mom telling me when she was very early, very early on when she was in school, um, somebody who spread rumors about her being pregnant. And it bothered her a lot. This was when she was in high school. Um, it bothered her a lot. And... Uh, she said one of her teachers told her, you know, don't worry about it. Just wait a few months and everybody will know who's telling the truth. Just wait. Don't try to defend yourself. Um, when you're in the right, time is on your side. And I've noted through the years that there are times when I've been tempted to try and force things or try to push things along. And whenever I've done that, it's always messed things up. So... I've learned that there are those times when you just got to let things run their course and it'll work out for the best. Um, another saying I heard many years ago, and I've heard it repeated at times, is uh, I listen to a lot of um, John MacArthur. I have um, a lot of his tapes over the years. started hearing him actually in 1982. So what is that, 40 years back? Quite a ways back. And uh, very early on, I listened to him on WCRF. In fact, I had a setup such that um, I had a timer that went off, and it would record the this program. I think it was 7.30 or not 8.30. I can't remember which one. Um, in the evening, but the timer would go off. I, I put a tape in the tape deck. And uh, the timer would go off. When it went off, the tape deck would come on, and it would record the um, sermon. And I had boxes of these sermons. And then I started subscribing to his, um, his cassettes. 
I remember one of them, and I don't remember which one he said. He said, um, talking about his ministry, he said, he said, I've always learned that you worry about the depth of your ministry. you got to worry about the breadth of the ministry. A lot of times we want to reach more people than we're able to. By the way, there's nothing wrong with wanting to reach more people. Sometimes we try to push things. And uh, I remember him saying something very powerful there. He said, you know, he said, my number one role is to be the pastor of a church. It's not to be a radio personality or a TV personality or a conference speaker. My job is to be in the local church. And if God takes away all of this other stuff, that's just fine with me because I want to be the pastor of a church. He said, I always wanted to worry about the depth of my ministry and let God worry about how wide and broad it goes. And I think that's a good strategy. A lot of times people want to become conference leaders or conference speakers and be on the circuit and be the guy that uh, is always called up for the talk shows. And uh, it usually doesn't work out well. At the time of this perspective, we've just had a situation where a major prominent leader of a parachurch organization has been shown to have had multiple affairs and just a life of complete sexual debauchery and over the years, and yet he was considered one of the great apologists of our time. And he asked, how did it happen? He was always in conference speakers speaking, or conferences, always speaking on the circuit. And part of it was he was never in a church. His ministry didn't go deep, it went broad. Here's the thing, and I think there's an apt metaphor that Christ used in John 15. I am the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me, you'll bring forth much fruit. Without me, you can't do anything. And I often think that sometimes we want to think that we can pull it off on our own. We can't. We need to stay connected to the vine. We need to have our roots run deep. And if our roots run deep and we're focusing on the depth of our ministry, then God can worry about how broad and wide it goes. And I've often thought about that. You know, I... I enjoy teaching my classes, and I like doing these videos, but you know, if they don't go anywhere and they just reach a few people, that's fine. I'm going to worry about the depth of my ministry, and I'll let God worry about how broad and wide it goes. Great device. Very early on, another saying that really struck me back in the 80s is... Um, in the financial realm, it's, a simple one, live on less than you make. Sounds simplistic. Life you say, well, you don't understand my bills, you don't understand my expenses. Well, I think what this is trying to say here, and I remember, I think it was Larry Burkett that said this many years ago. If you live on less than you make, you have a margin. And it was interesting because I'm in the process right now of digitizing some of my old lessons that I've done from the early 90s. And uh, I've been forcing myself to listen to myself. It's kind of interesting when you listen to yourself from 30 years ago and 
in some ways I say, I didn't know I knew that. <laughs> um, and other times it's like, well, I've forgotten that I had uh, said that. I forgot about that class. But what's interesting is to find just how little I've changed theologically over the years. But in the course of listening to some of these, getting back to our subject here, on one of them I remember saying that I had just read a statistic that the average American, this is back in the early 90s, the average American lives on 120% of their income. They're spending 20% more than they're earning. How do you do that? Well, it's called credit cards. It's called debt. And um, I remember I had neighbors one time that did refis on houses, and they said it was not uncommon to have people come in with thirty, forty thousand dollars in credit card debt. I remember many years ago I had a credit card, and I still have it actually. And I had a forty thousand dollar credit limit on it, and I remember getting a call from the company asking me if I'd want a $36,000 cash advance on my card. And I asked him, what am I going to do with $36,000? Well, you know, you can put a, you can remodel your house, you can take a vacation, whatever. And I said, well, what's the interest rate on that? And they said, well, you know, it's 0% it's for, I think, 18 months, 12 months, 18 months. I said, okay, what is it after that? Well, that's, it's your card rate. Well, my card rate on that, and again, I don't care about rates on credit cards. So I always paid them off at the end of the month. I think the card rate was somewhere around 20% on that card. So think about that. I could have gotten a loan, $30,000 loan at 20% interest is $6,000 a year, $500 a month in interest. I'm not even touching the principal if I, if I didn't pay that back. Live on less than you make. That's a good adage. Cut your expenses. Do you need that latte every morning from Starbucks? Do you need that subscription to that magazine? Do you need that cable TV channels lineup that you have? Do you need to drive that kind of car? If you live on less than you make, you can save a little, and over time that builds up. And that's served me well through the years. I've always... Donna and I always lived on less than we made. And what that's enabled me to do at 62 is to retire and be able to do ministry and things that I couldn't do when I was working. But if I had spent everything I made, if I spent 120% like the average American, I'd never have the money to do anything. Another saying that, and sort of a negative aspect that I remember, so we had a situation in our church where one of the pastors had had an affair and we had to ask them to step down. And I remember one of the deacons on the deacon board just being absolutely livid about that. He was mad because we didn't do more than we did. We did. He's mad because we didn't do more than just fire the guy. We. He wanted to act way more severely to him. And he was so adamant about that, actually, that he resigned from the deacon board. He was so upset that we treated this 
situation very lightly, which, by the way, we didn't. Pastor had lost his job. He lost his reputation. He had to publicly apologize to the church from the pulpit. It was not an easy thing for him. I remember this individual being upset that we didn't do more. I remember as the senior pastor and I left the meeting, because I was the chairman of the deacon board at that time. As we left the meeting, he told me, he says, Alan, he says, I don't know what's going on here, but there's something else here. This just does not make sense. His reaction is just way off, way beyond what we should be expected of this. And of course, at that time, I didn't think anything of it. I said, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. But what we found a few weeks later is this particular pastor at that time, or not pastor, this man on the deacon board, at that time that, that he was upset with us was he himself involved in an affair. And shortly after that, he had divorced his wife and left ministry and left the church. And I remember him saying that there's something else going on here. And it's been my observation when people respond to things far beyond what would be in good measure what they should respond to, usually there's something underneath that. There's something hidden. I've seen people leave the church because of A, when really there's something else going on, but that's just a good excuse to leave the church. They overreact. They react way beyond what the situation would call for. So I've learned to watch out for that. When people overreact, usually there's something else underneath it that you don't know about. Another interesting one is um, many years ago at Open Door, the church I attended, we had the guy that played um, Eb on Green Acres come in and speak to the singles group. He was a Christian. I don't, I don't remember his name offhand here. Um, um, I have it here, I think, on my... Um, see if I have it here. Um, I forget his name, but uh, he played. He played on Green Acres. He played Eb. He's Christian, Christian guy. And um, he came to speak at our church. Uh, Christians, you know, he's a Christian single man. Never married. Came to speak at our church. And uh, I had been at a conference that day over in Toledo, and I got back just in time to be there to hear him. And uh, when it was all over, I remember this woman coming up to me and said, do you remember me? And I said, I think I do. And she said, you know, I'm so-and-so from, you know, your old church. I said, wow, okay. You know, what are you doing here? You know, well, you know, I came to hear this man speak. Then she started talking to me a little bit, and she said, um, and I don't know what precipitated her conversation with me. They said, yeah, you know, I went to your church, and I, I was there, and, you know, do you remember this elderly man that was in the church? She gave his name. I said, yeah, I remember him. 
And she gave me the story about how, you know, he had gone into the nursing home and how she would go in there and take care of him and, and help him. And uh, this guy was very old, and I think he, he was a, suffering from a little bit of dementia. But she said, yeah, you remember him? And I said, yeah, I remember him. And she said, well, I, I, he went to the nursing home, and I would go in there and help him. And, you know, I fell in love with him, and, and um, I divorced my husband and married this guy. And everybody at the nursing home commented on how much I loved this man. This man was probably 40 years older than she was. And she talked about how she fell in love with him and divorced her husband and married this guy. And she's saying this with a straight face like, you know, this is a normal, natural thing and something to be admired. But the most bizarre thing about this is her ex-husband was standing next to her. The guy that she had divorced was standing next to her when she was saying this. And she's given me this story about how this was such a beautiful thing that she had done. And it's one of those things where I look back on, it's like, I would love to have had a picture of my face because it's like, how do you respond to that? How do you respond to somebody who does something so bizarre and so against the Bible and so against God's commandments and, and act like, oh, that's the, that was a good, wonderful, noble thing to do. And the warning I took from that is, you know, it's easy to do the wrong thing and talk yourself into believing that that was the most noble thing that you've ever done. It's a great nobility for me to do that. How noble was it for me to, you know, like in this particular case with this woman, divorce her husband and marry this other guy that probably didn't even know he was getting married. How do you do that? You, you deceive yourself. You talk yourself into thinking that this is good and you don't, you don't stop and look at the absurdity of what you're saying. Looking back, that was absolutely absurd what she was doing. But in her mind, it was such a noble, beautiful, wonderful thing that she did. And all the time, her ex-husband is standing there affirming this. Last one. One of my favorite preachers of all times is Dr. Vance Havner. A good old boy preacher from 1912 was when he was born. He had a way of putting the cookies on the lowest shelf. I mean, he had a sense of humor that was, was unique to him. But he could preach. And I remember one of his sermons talked about the Shulamite woman. If you remember the story in Kings there, there's the Shulamite woman. And she tells her husband she sees Elijah passing by their house every day. Not every day, but all the time, frequently. She tells her husband, I perceive this is a holy man of God who passes by us continually. Let's make a room for him. 
and put in a bed and a candlestick so that when he passes by, he has a place to stay. And he talked about the holy man of God. The Shulamite saw something unique about Elijah that she didn't see about other people. It was so impressive. She says, I perceive this is a holy man of God. And he went on to talk about what do people say of you? I often thought about that. I still think about that constantly today. If you were to ask people, what do you think about Alan? Would they say he's a holy man of God? I just think I'd like to be known as that. I certainly don't want to be known as an unholy man of God. See, and I pray this on a constant basis, that um, like the Apostle Paul, I want to be able to tell the Lord when it's time for me to go home to finish the course and kept the faith. I did what God called me to do. I did I did what he wanted me to do. And I did it in such a way that I was holy. I was a godly man. Well, it's full of a lot of people that are ungodly. But one of the greatest commendations that Elijah I think ever got is this one here I perceive this is a holy man of God do people perceive me as a holy man of God does my life match my walk my talk I think there's something to be said for that And so I leave on that positive note. These are some of the sayings I've heard over the years, unforgettable things, unforgettable words. Never react, always act. Maybe God gave you that money for something other than a cassette player. Please pray for my lawyer, the one that I'm witnessing to, the one that I got to represent me because I haven't paid my bills. God's not done with me yet. Who are you to hurry him along and tell me I need to change? When you're in the right, time is on your side. You worry about the depth of your ministry. Got to worry about the breadth of the ministry. Live on less than you make. There's something else going on here. I perceive 
This is a holy man of God who passes by us continually. I hope that last statement can be said of me. And that's my perspective.